I like that. Hey, <laughs> it's good to see everybody. And whether you are here at our Legacy Campus or at one of our other campuses, or uh, maybe you're watching online, you're podcasting, glad you're here. And I do want to give a special welcome to week two of San Antonio. Uh, we're really, really excited uh, for that new campus and for you being part of it. In fact, I'll be there. Uh, Christine, I'll be there. On my birthday week, it's a national holiday. Everybody knows about it. And uh, no, it's in November. But I, I look forward to, uh, to coming down and celebrating my birthday in San Antonio with you guys. Get to know you a little bit. So today uh, we're talking or we're continuing our series uh, called Uniquely You about uh, finding your why. Uh, recognizing the fact that, that you and I aren't just here. We're here with a purpose and not just a general purpose, but a specific one. Ephesians 2.10, for example, says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance. So God thought about you in advance before you were born. And he has something for you to do and some things he wants to do in your life. Um, and, and in this season in which we're in, as we're trying to come out of this pandemic and a lot of people are thinking about their life differently. We just heard the breakaway song and going to fly and do what I'm supposed to do. And all that. a lot of people are asking some of those big questions. I believe it was a good time to say, hey, let's take that and put it through a biblical grid and a biblical filter. And last week uh, we talked about who God wants us to become and how we can become that for the next for this week and the next couple of weeks. We're going to be focused on. How you and I can find our calling. Most people, most Jesus followers, don't really have a super clear sense of calling. Like, what, what does God want to do through me? What does he want to, what do I, why, what am I here to accomplish? And my prayer is over the next three weeks, all of us will have, wherever we're at on clarity, a greater clarity on why we're here and what that might uh, mean. And so today we're going to look at one of the components of calling, and that is our gifting. And to uh, get us into that, Peter uh, is going to come help me. He's our campus pastor at Legacy. Um, I have uh, two works of art here, and we're going to start with this one here. Just a minute. Not yet. Not yet. So uh, um, two works of art by two different artists. Um, they're both self-portraits. So one of them is me. So you'll, that'll be obvious because it's a self-portrait. And um, in fact, uh, some of you, if you're a longtime Chase Oker, you've seen mine before, because about 10 years ago uh, is when I did it. And uh, and I showed it then. And I'm surprised nobody offered to buy it uh, back then. I assume people thought it'd be too expensive and kind of intimidated, you know, to do that. So is my guess. But um, and then so that's my self-portrait. And then Greg Holmes, who's uh, on our teaching team, is one of our pastors, uh, did a self-portrait of himself, obviously. And uh and so uh, let's go ahead and look at mine here first. And there we go. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And, uh, and both of us took about an hour, hour and a half to do this. And, uh, and here's Greg's. There we go. All right. So obviously one by a very gifted, talented artist. The other, not so much. Um, but give Greg credit because he really tried. And, uh, and I, I mean, I don't want to, you know, make him feel bad, but notice he didn't even use color, you know, his is black and white and he didn't have a background. His just like a floating head. You know, he didn't have any grass or clouds or anything like that because it's hard to do background. So I'm going to work with him this fall, teach him how to do clouds and grass, things like that. Um, okay. Obviously I'm, I'm, I am delusional about some things, but not about that. 
I, I know that I, I can admit that my core gifting is not art, uh, I, you know, but I, the reason I start with delusion is because when Paul in the New Testament talks about this topic of gifting and one of the key passages in the Bible about it, Romans 12, that's where he starts, because it is it is very ordinary, very normal for us to be a little delusional about our gifting in a variety of ways. And we don't want to, right? We don't want to be delusional. We want to live in reality and have greater clarity about who we are, not live somebody else's life, but live our life. And so in Romans 12, 3, when he starts talking about gifting to the church in Rome, he says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. So in this case, there were people who thought they were better than they were, meaning that was their delusion. They thought they were he's going to talk about gifting as we're going to read. So it's about they were delusional about gifts and their strengths and abilities. So evidently what was going on in Rome was at the time in that church is that there were some people who thought they were more gifted than they were, had gifts that they really didn't have, or that their gifts in comparison were uh, than others were more important or more significant. They were delusional that way. But it's equally possible to be dis, to be delusional the other way, where we don't we just don't feel that gifted, and we see other people and, and we get it. We're like impressed with their gifts, but we just don't feel that gifted ourselves. I mean, just like when you look at my artwork, you might be intimidated, right? You think, "Wow, you're so gifted." And you know, I wish I was like that. And I, I don't I don't mean to do that to you. I'm just doing my art. But, you know, we can look at other people's gift and it's in and, 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 and minimize our own. That's really common. And, and just feel like we're not in the gifted category. When God was handing out gifts, somehow we were in the bathroom or something like that. And, you know, came out and we're like, hey, what happened? What I missed? We're like, oh, sorry. You know, but no, everybody we're going to see everybody's in the gifted category. And sometimes the delusion on the negative side is we just don't realize that our gifts that we do have are as valuable as we think. So it can go either way. And the goal from Paul's perspective is, hey, I just want you to have an honest evaluation. This doesn't mean lie versus not lie. That's not what he means by honest. That's not what the word means there. It's it's an accurate, authentic. Like he just says, I just want you to have an accurate perspective of yourself. And that's my goal for us today is for all of us to have, by the end of this, a more accurate perspective of our gifting so we can have a clearer perspective of our calling. And here's the truth about you before we jump back into Romans 12. Is that you are created. This is our big idea today. You are created uniquely by God for a specific purpose. You aren't here to do anything. You've been placed here to do something. So if somebody has told you in your life, you can be anything you want to be. If you just try hard enough, you can be anything you want to be. That's not true. You can't be anything you want to be. But the truth is better than that. The truth is you're not just here to do anything, anything you want to be. God has shaped you and he's placed you here to do something. It's not that you can do anything you want to be. It's God is it's way better than that. God has thought about you and he's placed you here. He's shaped you here to do something. And one of the one of the things God has given us to use is our gifts. And so let's talk about that. The rest of the passage, Paul says, just as our bodies have many parts. And each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. 
We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. So Paul's most common way of describing the church, his comparison or analogy to understand church is the body. Body and family are the two most common in the New Testament to describe, hey, what is church all about? Well, here he's talking about the body, right? Just like your body, all of our bodies, we have different parts, right? You have eyeballs and nose and ears and feet and hands. And every, everybody's got their own function. Every, every part's important. Everybody's got their function. And Paul is saying same way in the body of Christ. That's the way this works. So he says, uh, you know, we're, we're all different part of the body. All of us belong to each other. So he then goes on to talk about gifting. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage each others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So as we look at the passage, the first thing we got to understand is this, is that you are gifted. You know, schools, a lot of times, it seems like this ebbs and flows. You know, they'll have the gifted and talented program, you know, and you're either in or out. And you're, you're like, you know, your kid is like, oh, man, I want my kid in the gifted and talented program. And if they're not, you're like, oh, man, you know, and I hate that because it's just bad theology of human beings. A good theology of human beings is every child, every human being is in the gifted and talented program. Like Paul says, we just all have different gifts. And that's what he says. We all have different gifts. He, he doesn't say some of us have gifts and some of you eh, probably not. It's not what he says. Because we all have different gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, when he talks about gifts, another big passage about gifts we'll look at later. Uh, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of your gifts. I don't, I don't want you to be ignorant about your gifts. Now, ignorance is a big problem, right? Because if you and I are ignorant of our gifts, then we won't deploy our gifts. It, or we'll try to be somebody we're not. And, and yet it's so easy to be ignorant of our gifts because like we hinted at earlier, it's just easy. It's a lot easier to see the gifting of other people than it is to see it in ourselves because we kind of take our own gifts for granted. It they just don't seem like that big a deal because it's just what we do or just kind of naturally the way. And so we just we're not impressed with our own strengths, but we can see the strengths of others in comparison. We were talking about that last week in the life group I'm in or our life group. Um, about how easy that is to do, right? Because you see other people and you're like, whoa, man, they're so gifted. Like I remember years ago in another life group I was in, uh, there was a, a girl in our life group who uh, is, who, you know, we were talking about gifting. He just said, you know, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm just, I don't know what my gifts are. I'm not sure I really have any, any gift. And when she said that, the whole group was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, you, are you kidding? And she said, oh, no, no, I just don't feel like I have that gift. Well, one of the gifts in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 12 is the gift of hospitality. And we said, you realize, like, that's, you have multiple gifts, but do you realize how powerful your gift is and how intimidated the rest of us are, like, when we have to do life group at our house versus when we do it at your house? Because when life group is at your house... It's amazing. Like Martha Stewart would come and be intimidated. I mean, she'd be like, wow, you're amazing, right? I mean, it's just like, and she really is. And for the rest of us, like Christy's way better than me. But if it was me, I'd just throw some Oreos on the table and say, hey, thanks for coming. But, but she like, you know, just amazing, right? And it's not just the spread of stuff. It's, it's the whole thing. It's the ambience and the welcome and the environment. 
And we, and as we talked to her about that, it was really cool because she started to see it and realize, hey, that is part of my calling. And over the years, she's, uh, you know, at Chase Oaks, over the years, um, she's lived into that calling. And sometimes some of our most significant moments at Chase Oaks, she's been right at the center of helping create the event. And countless steps have been taken toward God by people, in part because the setting and, and the hospital environment that she created. But she saw herself as, I'm not that gifted, until other people helped her say, oh no, you're way gifted. See, ignorance is a real problem because if we stay ignorant of our gifting, we won't deploy it. Ignorance is, is not good. However, among the list of problems in the world, ignorance is actually not the worst. Because, you know, if you look at problems in the world right now, like we got a lot of problems in our world. And a lot of them are very difficult to solve. Like coronavirus. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a tough one to solve, right? And everybody's trying to figure out right now, you know, all this coronavirus stuff and what should we do and vaccines and masks and everybody's got their opinions and everybody's just, and, and can I just say this? This is just a, a by the way, but I want us to do this well as a church. And I'm not even talking about church as much as, as being responsive to other people who have to make leadership decisions in our culture and in our work or schools or whatever, because there's so much uh, vitriol right now about the coronavirus and do you, the, you know, how do you, should you do this? Should you do that? Should you, and, and leaders, I've, I've talked to multiple leaders in our community who've called me and said, hey, I just need some help because I know you lead you know, an organization of people, I'm sure you've dealt with all this stuff. And I'm going, I just like one person said, I, I'm concerned for my mental health. Like I'm just trying to do the best I can. I, I'm not trying to make people mad, but boy, am I accomplishing that, you know, because, you know, whether it's in a school system or the place of work or whatever, all these things. And, um, and let me just say this, that uh, the Bible talks about this and, and you can be mad at me all you want. God will be, you know, God will give me the grace to handle it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about this just to make you uh, not give me a hard time. I'm talking more, I mean, that'd be great, but I'm talking more about out there because the Bible talks about it and says, Hey, when it, that it's great to give input and all that kind of stuff. But the Bible actually says this, like with leaders, like with leaders in different environments, as people, as Jesus followers, he said, the Bible says, don't give leaders a hard time. In fact, it says, make it easy for them. Don't be a pain in the rear. And in some of those cases, as these community leaders have talked to me who are Chase Oakers, they've said, hey, some of the people who give me the hardest time are fellow Chase Oakers. And I just, I hate it because I love these people. But it's like, really? Everybody's just trying to do the best they can. Give your input. That's great. And then whatever decision's made, let's not be a pain in the rear. Is that fair enough? Because that would please God. And everybody's doing the best they can. And we'll get through this, Right. But that's a hard problem to solve. But another problem, you know, right now is Afghanistan. That's a hard problem to solve. And at the end of this sermon, we're going to pray for what's going on there. We have Chase Oakers at the airport. Um, and you think about all the Christians in that country and all that's going on in that country and all these people. I mean, it's just such a mess. And there's lots of, you know, part of the world that's a mess. But that's a mess right now. This is a big weekend. We need to be praying. That's a really hard problem to solve. But the problem of ignorance the good news about it, that's really easy to solve because all you have to do is become aware. And 
toward the end of this sermon, we're going to talk about, well, how do I become more aware of my gifting? So just hold on to that. But once you become aware of your gifting, the other part of this passage is that your gifts should be your focus. That yeah, you're gifted. That's awesome. But your gifts should be your focus. And I'm, I'm, I mean, in terms of your contribution on this planet in your vocation, in your work, in the way you do family, in your volunteering at church or volunteering in the community. It, that's what Paul says. He said, it's your, we just read it. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage, be encouraging. If it's giving, give. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. Um, Paul doesn't say if your gift is teaching, then lead really well. Or if your gift is leading, become the best teacher you can be. No, he says, if your gift is leading, take that responsibility seriously. Like Paul talks about that with Timothy, his protege, uh, the guy that he sort of hands off his ministry to that he was developing. He tells Timothy uh, in First in, uh, in Timothy four, do not neglect your gift. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress, your progress in your area of strength. It's not Timothy. You've got some weaknesses. You really need to work on those. Not what he says. No, I want you to focus on your strength. Don't neglect it because it's easy to do that, right? Because we can kind of skate on our strengths and then on our weaknesses. We feel like, oh, we got to get better. We have, have this weaknesses. And sometimes we have to do that. But what Paul is letting us know is, man, your strengths are way more important than your weaknesses. Um, he, similarly, second Timothy one six, uh, Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of the, the gift of God that was given to you. Fan it into flame. Keep it burning hot. Don't neglect it. Develop it. Let it grow. Why? Because it's easy to not focus on our strengths and instead focus on our weaknesses. But the Bible is a strength, strength focused, not weakness focused kind of approach to, to life and our contribution in this world, which is really important to understand. Um, it's, it's super important if you're a parent. Because it's so easy. I mean, I don't want my kids to have any weaknesses, but they all do because every human being has weaknesses and everybody, nobody has every strength. Right. But it's way more important rather than poking on our kids weaknesses to make sure they're really clear about their strengths. Same way with us to be really clear what our strengths are, because one day, you know, the Bible teaches that you and I who know Jesus will stand before him. It's called the Bema Seat Judgment. And when we get to heaven, it's not about do you get to go to heaven or not. It's about your, our rewards in heaven. And you and I will be rewarded in heaven based on our faithfulness here. And that Bema Seat judgment, what we'll be held accountable for is not what we don't have, not what we were not given, but what we were given. So we'll, we'll be given different amounts of financial resources. And we'll be, we all give, you know, some amount of time. We'll be held accountable for, but also our gifts and abilities. And when we stand before God, he's not going to say, hey, you know what? I gave you these weaknesses. What did you do with them? Not going to say that. He's going to say, hey, I gave you this gift. It's really cool. I gave you the gift to be insightful and to have wisdom and to be a problem solver. So that you can help other people solve complex problems. And, 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 and when people are just sort of disoriented and don't know what to do. I gave you the ability to kind of gain clarity and, and perspective that could help people move forward. It's a really cool gift. Let's talk about how you use that. And, and what I don't want to say is, oh, I'm sorry. 
I didn't know that. Right? I don't want to be ignorant. I want to be faithful. And that's what we all want, right? So we, use, we focus on our area of gifting. Now, whenever I talk about this, to say, well, you know, how much can I, because the trick is to spend more of our time as possible in our work, in our vocation, in our volunteering in church or volunteering in the community, to spend most of our time as possible in our area of gifting. And, and the way I talk about that is there's three zones that all of us can live in. And every time I talk about gifting, I talk about this and I do that on purpose because I want it to be part of our common language. And it's been a while since I've done it, but it's three zones, our extraordinary zone, our mediocre zone and subordinary zone that every one of us can either live when it comes to gifting in our job or in our volunteering. We can live in our subordinary zone, our mediocre zone or extraordinary zone. Our extraordinary zone is in our career of gifting. There are one or two ways that God has called you and me, these gifted us, that we will be extraordinary. And when we live in the extraordinary zone, that's where we find joy and effectiveness. It doesn't even feel like work. It's just kind of, it's just natural to us. And it's like, wow, it's just so fun. And it, it's energizing. We, it may be tiring in one way, but it's actually energizing at the same time. Our subordinary zone, actually I don't worry too much about people staying in their subordinary zone. That's just where we're terrible. And I'm no, you know, Art is in my subordinary zone, okay? I, I, I get that, right? There's different things. There. You and I will, will tend to be either shamed out of our subordinary zone or fired out of our subordinary zone. We won't stay in our subordinary zone very long. Like one time, because I, I learned how to play guitar when I was a youth pastor, I, led wor- I tried to lead worship one time. And one time for a reason. Because I literally got laughed out of my subordinary zone. Literally laughed out of my subordinary zone and I've never done it again and I'll never do it again. Right. Um, so I'm not too worried about people being in their subordinary zone, but where most people spend most of their time, at least according to all these surveys done by people like Gallup in their jobs is not in their extraordinary zone, not in their area of core gifting, but in the mediocre zone in the middle. Meaning areas where they make, you know, we, um, we may be, you know, work hard enough. We have enough work ethic that we'll be pretty good. But sort of on the, at best, the upside of mediocre. It's not really in our core area of gifting, but for whatever reason, that's what our job is or that's where we find ourselves. And, uh, and so work is so tiring. And it's like, oh, no, it's Monday. 50% of American workers right now want another job. They don't want to, they don't want even the, not just the, environment, not just the work environment. They just don't like their job period, like their job category. Right. And, and that's because most people, we know this uh, because of the surveys that Gallup has done, spend most of their time in that mediocre zone. In fact, Gallup does this, all this stuff with, they have the strengths finder uh, tool, which is a great tool. And so they've done all this research with people who've discovered some of their strengths, thousands and thousands of people. And they ask them, how many of you Utilize your core strengths in your job on a regular basis. You know how many people said, what percentage? Can you just guess? 20% said, yeah, I regularly use my strengths in my job. 20%, one out of five. 80% are not living in their strengths. 80% are not living in the extraordinary zone, wondering why life kind of stinks, wondering why, you know, they don't have more joy in their career or in their volunteering or whatever. 
And it doesn't have to be that way. But the truth is, it's easy to be because you and I, just with work ethic and with training, we can become highly skilled but not highly gifted. And I got that uh, from a guy named Bob Beal, who um, some of you know because he's written a lot of leadership books. He was a, a leadership coach at a very high level to like Fortune 500 CEOs. And, and he's talking about people who were promoted all the way to CEO, but in their mediocre zone. And I heard him say this one time. He said, the saddest people I begin working with are those who are highly skilled in their work, but not highly gifted. Meaning it's really possible to just through training, through sheer work ethic, to become really highly skilled and pretty good. Never great. Never super fulfilling. But pretty good. Enough to be promoted to CEO in, in the case of the people he's working with. But that would be kind of a tragedy, right? To be stuck in mediocre zone. But it happens all the time. And one of the reasons it happens is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12. And that is about what we value. That sometimes we end up, we don't value who we are. We value who other people are. We value gifts that we don't have. And therefore we try to live a life that's not ours. Because we minimize our gifting and we try to be something else because we value that more. And, and the truth is every, every culture values certain giftings and contributions above others. Every family values certain giftings and contributions of others. Every church values, it shouldn't be that way, but it happens. Every church values certain gifts and abilities above others. And so 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about that. He says, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, start, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, but one body. Like the body isn't just one big pile of eyeballs, right? That'd be a problem, right? That'd be a not very functional body. The body has different parts for different reasons. And yet what was happening in Corinth is they were certain, certain more spectacular gifts in that case. They really valued and everybody wanted those gifts and wanted to think they had those gifts. Happens in church a lot where people value platform gifts or leadership gifts, you know, and it's like everybody wants to be. And, and, you, and other gifts tend to be minimized or not seen as that big of a deal. And when it becomes a real problem is when we begin to think we're somebody we're not because we value something we're not. And we end up living somebody else's life and never being that fulfilled, never being that effective. Now, one of the jobs I used to have here um, at Chase Oaks, uh, parts of my job at the time I really liked was leading our intern program. And I came here as an intern back in 1989. I was an intern and very thankful to be an intern. And, I, and in that process, you know, that's what internship is for, is to find out who am I and what is my contribution and what am I good at, what am I not good at and all that. And so I, after a while, came on staff and led our intern program. And at the time, a lot of our interns, and well, still, but at that time, too, a lot of our interns were students at Dallas Theological Seminary, where they bury dead people. And uh, no, not cemetery, but seminary where uh, it's, it's like graduate school for pastors. It's a weird word, but graduate school for pastors and stuff. And at the time, 
um, the big values of Dallas Seminary were like, you know, the one the, the gifts that were really like, whoa, those are me. It was either being doing what I'm doing now, being on a platform, teaching, preaching or being an entrepreneurial church planter, starting new churches. Those were the two things that were valued. And it's like, wow, those are the like those are the real people. Right. Those are the people really living for, you know, doing it, you know. And uh, and and it was reinforced in all kinds of ways, not intentionally. It never happens intentionally. But again, every family, every church will just tend to do that. And so that was their deal. And what that meant was, is guess what? All of our interns at Dallas Seminary felt like their calling was one of those two things. Which would have been fine if that was reality. But the truth is, only a small percentage of people got as wired to be a platform communicator or an entrepreneurial church planner. But everybody thought, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's who I'm supposed to be. So I'd have this conversation with interns all the time in my office, one-on-one. I have a, a round table in my office. That This is a round table, but uh, mine was bigger there. Um, and, and I would say, okay, so the world of ministry is as big as this table. But right now, kind of, you know, where a lot of people are at, See, kind of the world of ministry, and I, I had a little circle I would use, uh, you know, on the table, feel like it's this big. That everybody's got to squeeze into one of these two things. And the truth is, you may be that. You may be an entrepreneurial church planner. You may be a platform communicator. And that's cool. That's who you are. But if you're not that, and you try to live in that little circle, it's going to be a rough life. And everybody's going to lose. You're going to lose because on your best day, It's never going to feel great. And you're going to wonder why ministry isn't more fulfilling. And you're going to think it's about the church or about God or something like that. But you're just living out of who you're not. But and, and not just you lose, but the world will lose, too. The church will lose, too, because if you if God's actually made you to be do something else. Right. He did that on purpose. And and there's a contribution that could be brilliant. That the church as a whole, the world needs you to do. And if you and if you are something else out of this little circle in, in another circle, and then you know what we're going to do is just try to just just say, hey, let's just let's just hold this loosely. And in the internship, let's find out. Maybe it's not this. Maybe it's something else. So you can fully live into that, and everybody will win because you'll be fulfilled. You'll be effective. You'll be joyful. The fruit that you have will be way bigger. The body of Christ, the church will win because we need your contribution. We need you to do what God's put you here to do. Everybody wins when you live in your area of gifting, when you live in the extraordinary zone, not the mediocre zone. And multiple, multiple times in the internship, you know, that's what internships are for, right? To realize, oh, yeah, I'm not here to do this. And the ones that I hated were people that everybody else knew they weren't in that circle, but they just stuck with it. And they went off to start churches and be, and, and it's not worked out well. And they're disillusioned with God and disillusioned with ministry and all. It has nothing to do with that. But it can just happen. And I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to me. I want us to know our area of gifting as much as possible so that we can deploy those gifts. And, and then we can live fully and freely. And when we do that, everybody wins because... Um, you know, every time the Bible talks about spiritual gifts in every passage, first Corinthians 12, Romans 12, first Peter, Ephesians four, they always, God always reminds us that gifts are actually not gifts to us. 
their gifts to the church. That my gift is not just for me. My gift is for you and for this world that God wants us to reach. He gives it with a mission in mind. He gives it with a bigger purpose in mind. Not for me, but for others. And therefore, it's a stewardship. It's a responsibility. And, and there's a whole lot of people at Chase Oaks right now who are new to our church, which is cool. And that may be you. And one of the reasons you're here is because God led you here, right? I mean, it's not like you're here by accident. You're here on purpose. And there's things that God wants to do in your life and things that God wants to do through you. And if you and I don't deploy our gifting, then there'll be things that God will not be able to do in and through our church. Right? He led you and me to be here on, on purpose. And it's not just about us. It's about others. It's actually all about others, not about us. So how do I find my gifting? Like, how do I gain more clarity? Like, I, I don't want to be ignorant. I want to be increasingly clear. How do I do that? Well, a few ways to do that. One is trial and error. Just start doing ministry and try it. You know, usually you have an inclination of kind of what you enjoy and start there. If you hate babies, don't start with the nursery. You know, it's okay. You don't have to be guilted into the nursery. If you hate babies, we really don't want you in the nursery, right? And if you love babies, that'd probably be a good place to start. Or, you know, there's, if you're a technical person in our production teams, if you're musical, right? It's pretty, but just think about, man, I, you know, just try an area and see what happens. And, and you don't have to be stuck there forever. If it doesn't work, that's okay. Just try another area. Another way to do that is think through your life intentionally. Think through your life biologically. Because our core gifting was there when we were one year old. And five years old. And ten years old. It's just kind of how we're wired and who we are. And there's some really, let me give you a, a, some real practical help here. There's a guy named Bill Hendricks. Who he actually has spoken in our church before. He's a friend of mine here in Dallas. And he, he runs this thing called the Giftedness Center. And he has a lot of uh, resources, a lot of help. He'll even do one-on-one coaching, which, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, it's worth it if you're talking about your contribution on this planet and being clear about that. But his name is Bill Hendricks. Look it up. But he gives some, these are questions from him. And you don't have to write these down. I'm going to put them on social media this weekend, but uh, on my Facebook and Instagram and our social media coordinators here, um, Darby. So you heard that. Um, so um, here they are. Here's some questions. Think back to fourth grade. What did you want to be when you were in fourth grade? What did you love doing then? There's something evidently about the fourth grade version of ourselves that's like the most pure version of ourselves when it comes to gifting. So when you were in fourth grade, what did you want to be? Some of you should be ballerinas right now. What are you doing? You know, no, I don't know what it was, right? But, but just think about it. what did you want to be? Um, what was the best day at work or in a volunteer role in the last three months? Uh, What were you doing? Why did you enjoy it so much? Just think back for the last three months and just say, man, what was the best day at work? When did you come home energized? Well, what were you doing? Was there any time last week you were just in the zone when time just flew by? Well, if so, what were you doing then? And as you think of this next week, what specific activities are you most looking forward to and why? Those are just great questions to begin to think about. Another thing you can do, there's all these inventories all over the place. You could just Google spiritual gift inventory or spiritual gift test. Uh, Strengths Finder that I talked about with the Gallup organization uh, or Now Discover Your Strengths by Marcus Buckingham. Those are just great resources to help us uh, do a little test. It's like, oh, you know what? Maybe that and that and that are strengths and gifts. 
Um, another way to do it is just to have a conversation with people that know you really well. We did that a little bit in our life group last week. Uh, people started just naming gifts and strengths in other people in our life group. Like, uh, you know, one of our groupies is uh, just really cool person. And, and uh, somebody was just saying, just saying they were at a party together and somebody said, Hey, I don't know if you realize this, but you were just such a natural networker. You were connecting people together and, and uh, it was just in, in making sure everybody felt included and, all, and you were just doing it. It wasn't even your party, but it was like, you were like, you made the party for so many people. Like, do you realize you just do that? You know, it's like, not really, you know? And so we're just naming gifts in each other. That's a great thing to do. Great thing to do as a couple, if you're married or engaged or together, or it's a great thing to do as a family with your kids. Your kids shouldn't wonder what their gifts are. That should be a regular part of our conversation about what, again, not so much weaknesses. We don't need to pick on their weaknesses, but name their strengths. Um, Now, let me tell you, if you do this as a family, like maybe you say, hey, let's talk about Harvey. You know, what, what strengths do we see in Harvey? If you lead a conversation like that, especially in, in a life group or really in your family, make sure you have an example to throw out there right away. Because <laughs> what you don't want is for there to be dead silence, you know, like, hey, let's talk about Harvey's strengths. What do you see in Harvey? You know, it's like, hmm, I don't know. You know, like, you don't want that, right? Because poor Harvey's never going to forget it. It's going to be a big problem the rest of his life. So, right, for the sake of Harvey or whoever your child is. Just say, just name one. Hey, you know what? Right away, man, Harvey, you're so compassionate. And, and you're able to have empathy. And you're just able to go right to the heart of somebody. And you listen. And your heart goes out to people. And, and you, you know, you're just so compassionate. It's just a really cool gift. And I wonder how God's going to keep using that. Because it's really awesome. Like, Right? That kind of conversation is one we should just have all the time with each other because all of us need that because we can't see our own gifting. And life has a way of beating us down with our weaknesses. Most people know we know our weaknesses, but we don't know our strengths. So let's make sure we fix that and not just for us, but for others and have that conversation all the time. And I'm going to pray that God will help us, that he will speak into our life. That he will give us greater clarity about our gifting so that we can then deploy them. Next week, we're talking about the experiences and, and stuff, good, bad, and ugly, that we go through that become part of our calling. And, uh, and I've already seen the message next week. Ryan is doing it. It's awesome. Um, and, and I know God's going to use that to help shape our calling and shape our ministry. But for now, uh, let's bow our heads together. Father, I thank you that you are intentional with us, that you have thought about us. Even before we were born, you created us and you crafted us uniquely with unique gifts and abilities. And Father, we want to be faithful with those. We want to employ those for you and for others and, and live in, in fulfillment and joy that comes from that. And so, Father, I pray that you give all of us greater clarity, not only about ourselves, but about each other and give us the the, just the wisdom to be in the words to be able to help each other just to speak words of encouragement and words of clarity, whether it's our spouse or friend or boyfriend or girlfriend or children or life group people or other group, whatever, just people at work. And Father, I thank you for just how you love to use goofed up people like me and, uh, and other goofballs around here to do your work in the world. 
And Lord, as we talk about some of the problems going on in our world right now, I don't want to end this prayer without praying. God, I do pray for unity in our culture. I do pray that this pandemic will end soon. Father, I pray for peace. I pray for understanding. I pray for the unity of our church to be a bright light in such a polarized world. Father, I do pray for those in Afghanistan right now. After so many decades of war, now to be at this place. And Father, I pray for your spirit to work powerfully. I pray for your church there. That you would strengthen, encourage the ones that we know are just so discouraged right now. So hopeless right now. And Father, I pray you would fill them with hope and you would protect them and help them be a bright light in such a difficult, dark time. And Father, I pray for our servicemen and women, some Chase Oakers that are just right there right now. And I pray that you would protect them as well. So, Father, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness, even in a world like this. In Jesus' name, amen.